chapter nineteen of william lloyd garrison the abolitionist by archibald grimke this librivox recording is in the public domain face to face face to face at last were freedom and slavery the final struggle between them for mastery had come narrow indeed was the issue that divided the combatants slavery extension on the one side and slavery restriction on the other not total and immediate emancipation but it was none the less vital and supreme to the two enemies back of the southern demand for more slave soil stood a solid south back of the northern position no more slave soil was rallying a fast uniting north the political revolution produced by the kansas nebraska bill advanced apace through the free states from maine to michigan a flood-tide of northern resistance had suddenly risen against the slave power higher than anywhere else rose this flood-tide in massachusetts the judge who remanded anthony burns to slavery was removed from office and a personal liberty law with provisions as bold as they were thorough enacted for the protection of fugitive slaves mr garrison sat beside the president of the state senate when that body voted to remove judge loring from his office such was massachusetts its answer to the abrogation of the missouri compromise and a triumphant slave power its instant effect was to accelerate in the south the action of the disunion working forces there to hurry the inevitable moment when the two sections would rush together in a death grapple within or without webster's once glorious union indeed the foes had already closed in a frightful wrestle for the possession of kansas when the national government adopted the popular sovereignty doctrine in solution of the territorial problem between the two halves of the union freedom and slavery thereupon precipitated their forces upon the debatable land and for the first time the men of the north and the men of the south came into actual physical collision in defence of their respective ideas and institutions the possession of land is nine points of the law among anglo-saxons and for this immense advantage both sides flung themselves into kansas the north by means of emigrant aid societies the south by means of bands of border ruffians and under the direction of a united states senator it was distinctly understood and ordained in connection with the repeal of the compromise of eighteen twenty that final possession of the territories then thrown open to slave labor should be determined by the people inhabiting the same in the contest for peopling kansas the superior colonizing resources of the free states was presently made manifest they in any fair contest with ballots had a majority of the polls 
and were therefore able to vote slavery down worsted as the south clearly was in a show of heads it threw itself back upon fraud and force to decide the issue in its favor the cartridge box took the place of the ballot box in bleeding kansas and violence and anarchy as a consequence reigned therein for the space of several years this is no place to depict those scenes of slave-holding outrages supported as they were by a northern president with southern principles the sight of them rapidly changed the pacific character of the free states many a peace man dropped his peace principles before this bloody duel between the civilization of the south and that of the north ministers and churches took up collections to send not bibles but sharps rifles to their brethren in kansas the south had appealed to the sword and the north had sternly accepted the challenge war was in the air and the northern temper without there being any general consciousness of it was fast mounting to the war point in the thermometer of the passions thanks to the perfidy and ruffianism of the slave power in congress and kansas this trend in strong undertow the nation toward a civil outbreak and commotion though unnoted by the multitude was yet nevertheless seen and felt by many thoughtful and far-seeing minds and by no one more clearly than by t w higginson who at the twentieth anniversary of the boston mob discoursed thus on this head mr phillips told us that on this day twenty years ago the military could not protect the meeting because the guns were outside in the mob or the men who should have carried them there has been a time since when the men were on the outside and the guns too and as surely as this earth turns on its axis that time will come again and it is for you men who hear me to think what you will do when that time comes and it is for you women who hear me to think what you will do and what you are willing i will not say to consent that those you love should do but what you are willing to urge them to do and to send them from your homes knowing that they will do it whether they live or die the murderous assault upon charles sumner in the senate chamber at washington by preston s brooks served to intensify the increasing belligerency of the northern temper to deepen the spreading conviction that the irrepressible conflict would be settled not with the pen through any more fruitless compromises but in anglo-saxon fashion by blood and iron amid this general access of the fighting propensity garrison preserved the integrity of his non-resistant principles his aversion to the use of physical force as an anti-slavery weapon men like charles stearns talked of shouldering their sharps rifles against the border ruffians as they would against wild beasts for himself he could not class any of his fellow-creatures however vicious and wicked on the same level with wild beasts those wretches were he granted as bad 
and brutal as they were represented by the free state men of kansas but to him they were less blameworthy than were their employers and endorsers the pro-slavery president and his cabinet pro-slavery congressmen and judges and doctors of divinity and editors incomparably guilty of these colossal conspirators against the liberty peace happiness and safety of the republic were and though his moral indignation against their treasonable course burned like fire he nevertheless wished them no harm he shrank from the idea of the physical collision of man with a brother man and with him all mankind were brothers no one is able to draw a sword or point a rifle at any member of the human family in a christian state of mind he held to jesus who condemned violence forbade the entertainment by his disciples of retaliatory feelings and the use of retaliatory weapons when jesus said love your enemies he did not mean kill them if they go too far garrison's moral radicalism and political sagacity were never exhibited to better advantage than during these tremendous years of the crisis he saw the sudden rise of a great political organization opposed to the farther extension of slavery to national territory it was by no means a party after his heart and for total and immediate emancipation and the dissolution of the union yet he perceived that while this was true it was nevertheless in its narrow purpose battling against the slave power fighting the slave system and to this extent was worthy of the commendation of abolitionists it helps to disseminate no small amount of light and knowledge the reformer acutely observed in regard to the nature and workings of the slave system being necessitated to do this to maintain its position and thus for the time being it is moulding public sentiment in the right direction though with no purpose to aid us in the specific work we are striving to accomplish namely the dissolution of the union and the abolition of slavery throughout the land while baiting no jot of his anti-slavery principles he all the same put in practice the apostolic injunction to give credit to whom credit is due by cordially commending what he found worthy of commendation in the purpose and policy of the republican party and by urging a like conduct upon his followers in the presidential canvass of eighteen fifty six his sympathies went strongly with fremont as against buchanan and fillmore although his abolition principles precluded him from voting for the republican candidate or from urging his disciples to vote for him but barring this moral barrier had he a million votes to bestow he would cast them all for fremont not because he is an abolitionist or a disunionist but because he is for the non-extension of slavery in common with the great body of the people of the north whose attachment to the union amounts to idolatry when the election was over the motto of the 
liberated was still no union with slaveholders and would have remained the same though fremont instead of buchanan had triumphed at the polls until indeed the domination of the slave power had ended and the north and the national constitution had been divorced from all criminal connection with slavery the anti-slavery agitation for the dissolution of the union went on with increased zeal a state convention called by t w higginson and others to consider the practicability probability and expediency of a separation between the free and slave states and to take such other measures as the condition of the times may require met at worcester massachusetts january fifteenth eighteen fifty seven with frank w bird in the chair and william lloyd garrison among the vice-presidents the pioneer speech on the occasion was a characteristic and noteworthy utterance its tone throughout was grave and argumentative here is a specimen of it and of the way in which he met the most serious objection to the abolition movement for disunion the air is filled with objections to a movement of this kind i am neither surprised nor disquieted at this one of these is of a very singular nature and it is gravely urged that it is conclusive against disunion it is to this effect we must remain in the union because it would be inhuman in us to turn our backs upon millions of slaves in the southern states and to leave them to their fate men who have never been heard of in the anti-slavery ranks or who are ever submitting to a compromise of principle have their bowels wonderfully moved all at once with sympathy for the suffering slave even our esteemed friend theodore parker who deals in no cant says in his letter that he cannot consent to cut himself off from the slave population now we who are engaged in this movement claim to be equally concerned for the liberation of the slave if we have not yet proved our willingness to suffer the loss of all things rather than turn and flee god knows that we are prepared to bear any new cross that he in his providence may be disposed to lay upon us for one i make no parade of my anxiety for the deliverance of those in bondage but i do say that it strikes me as remarkable that those who for a quarter of a century have borne the heat and burden of the day should have the imputation cast upon them of intending to leave four millions of slaves in their chains by seeking the overthrow of this union i declare that this talk of leaving the slave to his fate is not a true representation of the case and it indicates a strange dullness of comprehension with regard to our position and purpose what is it to forsake the slave when i cease to be the aider and abettor of his master what when the north is pressing down upon four millions of slaves like an avalanche and we say to her take off that pressure stand aside give the slave a chance to regain his feet and assert his freedom is that turning our backs upon him here for example is a man engaged in highway robbery and another man is acting as an accessory without whose aid the robber cannot succeed in saying to the accomplice hands off don't aid the villain shall i be told that this is enabling the highwayman to rob with impunity what an absurdity are we not trying to save the pockets of all travellers from being picked in seeking to break up all connection with highway robbery the convention projected a general convention of the free states to consider the subject and resolved that the sooner the separation takes place the more peaceful it will be 
but that peace or war is a secondary consideration in view of our present perils slavery must be conquered peaceably if we can forcibly if we must the projected general convention owing to the monetary crisis of eighteen fifty seven did not take place but the extraordinary public excitement on the slavery question increased rather than diminished during the year the increasing menace to the domination of the slave power from this source had become so great that it was deemed prudent on the part of the upholders of that power to allay it by means of an authoritative utterance upon the vexed question of slavery in the national territories from the highest judicial tribunal in the land the northern respect for the opinion of the supreme court the south and her allies and the free states counted upon as the vehicle of the quieting medicament for if the missouri compromise were pronounced by that court unconstitutional and therefore ab initio null and void no wrong was done the north through its formal repeal by congress the act of abrogation in this view added nothing to the south which did not belong to it as well before as after its passage detracted nothing from the north which was justly its due in the premises in pursuance of this cunningly devised scheme the supreme court delivered itself in an opinion in the famous dred scott case so abhorrent it was to the intelligence and moral sense of the free states that it produced results altogether opposed to those designed by the men who invoked it instead of checking the execrated judgment augmented enormously the existing excitement garrison's bitter taunt that the union is but another name for the iron reign of the slave power was driven home to the north by the dred scott decision with the logic of another unanswerable fact confidence in the independence and impartiality of the supreme court was seriously shaken and widespread suspicion struck root at the north touching the subserviency of that tribunal to the interests and designs of the slave power the popular agitation at this fresh and alarming evidence of the purpose and power of the south upset the machinations of the schemers swelled the numerical strength of the new northern party opposed to the territorial aggressions and pretensions of the slave section so rapid was the growth of the republican party that the slave leaders anticipated its accession to power at the then next presidential election so certain were they in their forebodings of defeat that they set about in dead earnest to put their side of the divided house in order for the impending struggle for southern independence military preparations went forward with a vengeance arms and munitions of war which were the property of the general government began to move southward to southern military depots and posts for the defense of the united states south when at last the word disunion should be pronounced over the republic the lincoln douglas debate augmented everywhere the excitement fed the already mighty members of the new party more and more the public consciousness and conviction were squaring with mr lincoln's oracular words in respect that the union could not endure permanently half slave and half free the darkness and tumult of the rising tempest were advancing apace when suddenly there burst from the national firmament the first warning peal of thunder and over virginia there sped the first bolt of the storm john brown with his brave little band at harper's ferry had struck for the freedom of the slave tired of words the believer in blood and iron as a deliverer had crossed from pennsylvania into virginia on the evening of october sixteenth 
eighteen fifty nine and seized the united states armory at harper's ferry although soon overpowered captured tried and hanged for his pains by the slave power the martyr had builded better than he knew for the blow struck by him then and there ended almost abruptly the period of argument and ushered in the period of arms the jar from that battle axe at the roots of the slave system hurled together in a death struggle right and wrong freedom and slavery in the republic this attempt on the part of john brown to liberate the slaves seemed to garrison misguided wild and apparently insane though disinterested and well intended on non-resistant grounds he deplored this use of the sword to effect emancipation and condemned the leader but judging him according to the standard of bunker hill and the men of seventeen seventy six he did not doubt that brown deserved to be held in grateful and honourable remembrance to the latest posterity by all those who glory in the deeds of a wallace or tell a washington or warren the raid of brown and his subsequent execution and their reception at the north revealed how vast was the revolution in public sentiment on the slavery question which had taken place there since the murder of lovejoy eighteen years before lovejoy died defending the right of free speech and the liberty of the press yet the attorney-general of massachusetts declared that he died as the fool dieth brown died in an invasion of a slave state and in an effort to emancipate the slaves with a band of eighteen followers and he was acclaimed from one end of the free states to the other hero and martyr mr garrison commenting on this immensely significant fact acutely and justly observed that the sympathy and admiration now so widely felt for him prove how marvellous has been the change effected in public opinion during the thirty years of moral agitation a change so great indeed that whereas ten years since there were thousands who could not endure my lightest word of rebuke of the south they can now easily swallow john brown whole and his rifle into the bargain in firing his gun he has merely told us what time of day it is it is high noon thank god but there is another circumstance hardly less significant of another change at the north even more momentous than the one just noted on december the second the day on which brown was hung solemn funeral observances were held throughout the north by abolitionists at the great meeting in boston held in tremont temple and presided over by samuel e sewell garrison inquired as to the number of non-resistants who were present to this question there came a solitary reply there was but one non-resistant beside himself in the hall where were his followers why had they forsaken their principles the tide of northern belligerency which was everywhere rising to its flood everywhere rushing and mounting to the tops of those dams which separate war and peace had swept away his followers had caused them to forsake their principles true to their anglo-saxon instinct they had reverted to the more human if less christian method of cutting the gordian knot of the republic with the sword the irresistible drift of the north toward the point where peace ends and war begins which that solitary eye at the john brown meeting denoted was still further indicated by what appeared not wholly unlike a change in mr garrison's attitude on the same subject his non-resistant position was the same but somehow his face seemed to turn warward too with the rest of the nation in the following passage 
taken from his address at that john brown meeting nevertheless i am a non-resistant said he speaking to that solitary confession of non-resistance principles and i not only desire but have labored unremittingly to effect the peaceful abolition of slavery by an appeal to the reason and conscience of the slaveholder yet as a peace man an ultra peace man i am prepared to say success to every slave insurrection at the south and in every slave country and i do not see how i compromise or stain my peace profession in making that declaration whenever there is a contest between the oppressed and the oppressor the weapons being equal between the parties god knows that my heart must be with the oppressed and always against the oppressor therefore whenever commenced i cannot but wish success to all slave insurrections rather than see men wearing their chains in a cowardly and servile spirit i would as an advocate of peace much rather see them breaking the head of the tyrant with their chains give me as a non-resistant bunker hill and lexington and concord rather than the cowardice and servility of a southern slave plantation the unmistakable signs of disintegration the swift action of the national tragedy the charleston convention the disruption of the democratic party the last bond between the north and the south filled the heart of the pioneer with solemn joy only think of it he exulted at the anniversary of the american anti-slavery society in new york may eighth eighteen sixty only think of it the party which has for so many years cried out there must be no agitation on this subject is now the most agitated of all the parties in the country the party which declares that there ought not to be any sectionalism as against slavery has now been sundered geographically and on this very question the party which had said let discussions cease forever is busily engaged in the discussion so that possibly the american anti-slavery society might adjourn sine die after we get through with our present meetings and leave its work to be carried on in the other direction this was all true enough the sections were at last sundered and a day of wrath was rising dark and dreadful over states dissevered discordant belligerent End of chapter nineteen